When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Jay Cutler. Starting a new podcast called Uncut with Jay Cutler. Most of you know me from the NFL. Some of you have seen me on Instagram. And some of you know me from the reality TV world. Each week I'm taking you along with me as we discuss football, trending topics, and whatever's going on in my life each week. I'm bringing along people that are special in my life. Former teammates, friends, and some new people that I like and respect. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Podcasting? I think I'm doing this right. Can't wait to get started with you. Go subscribe now. Uncut with Jay Cutler. Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, and Spotify. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. This is the continuation of the division-centric, I call them the capsule episodes for this podcast, and this one is on the Southeast Division, and my guests are Nikias Duncan of Basketball News and the Dunker Spot Podcast, and Mike Prada of his own awesome Substack and as an upcoming book, but love talking with both them. This one partially sheds the normal format, mostly because we spend about 30 minutes talking about the heat, which I thought was a really fascinating conversation. But of course, we get into all five of these teams, not only what they did, but what they're going to look like in the coming season. And a note at the outset that this was recorded two weeks ago. Um, I'm recording these early because I actually just got married um, as this is released. I, I have it as this is, as I'm recording this introduction. Um, but so if anything has changed over the last two weeks, that means I apologize. That's just the way things had to happen. And I, I appreciate Nikias and, and Mike being a part of it. Anyway, podcast runs about an hour and a half. A lot of really great stuff in here. Hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for giving me a call. It, it, it's so weird that the NBA season is almost here. I feel like the last one just ended, and that's because the last one did just end. <laughs> it, it, it did. I mean, the, uh, the thing that I'm having to remind myself pretty regularly is that this offseason is just as short as last offseason was, but now we're moving to the normal calendar, so there's a part of me that feels weirder about it. But yeah, it's this is a short offseason. Yeah, in my mind, we basically had like one giant long season from August of 2022 to now. Yeah, I think that's, that's I think sort of that, how I look at it. There yeah. was no off season at all. <laughs> uh, certainly, how it feels. I don't know. I'm I'm already worn out, and the season hasn't started yet. So this was an interesting. I like to kind of split this pod into an off season review and then a season preview. And um, I always I think it's a good exercise to go through. And we we could start with Nikias of going through these teams and just the basic question of who do you think got better and who do you think got worse. Um, I think the easy answer for me is that Miami got better. 
Like, I think they had... It's hard to call it a point guard issue because Goran Dragic is still a solid point guard. And, like, just having the stable of him and Kendrick Nunn is fine. But I think for where they wanted to go and the contender status that they're pushing for, like, I don't think that was enough just because of the defensive concerns that they had there. So being able to add Kyle Lowry, even at this stage of his career, I think is a pretty big boost for them. And then to kind of make the depth, um, the depth moves that they made beyond that. Um, being able to get Victor Oladipo on that flyer for basically a year, getting P.J. Tucker... Getting Markeith Morris, uh, we'll see which version of Markeith Morris the Heat get. Mm-hmm. But like they did make a legitimate effort to kind of fill out the front court depth. Um, they made those swings in the back court, and then you add that to the core of you know Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. They bring back Duncan Robinson. Like they have a pretty strong foundation. I feel. I'm not sure anyone really got better, and this is where I, I'd be. You know, Nikias, you're so clear headed on on the Heat. You're so willing to not necessarily buy into the Heat culture stuff. Um, so I'm I'm curious to to hear what you think about like whether this team is materially different than last year. You know, my my concern is age. My concern is lack of size. My concern is lack of depth. My concern is lack of shooting. You know, Lowry is obviously a better player than who they employed a point guard last year, but I'm just not sure that. I see a team that's really vaulting to the upper echelon of the East, really. Uh, and everybody else, it seems like a lot of there's a lot of deck chair moving. But sell me on Miami as being something a lot more than what they were last year. Um, I think first, like, I don't think Miami has moved themselves into the Milwaukee-Brooklyn tier. So if that's what we're defining as gotten better as far as, like, moving up a tier in contention or something like that, then, no, I'm kind of with you there that I don't think Miami necessarily got better. I do think this is a better roster. Um, I still I have some of the depth concerns with you. Um, while I do like the P.J. Tucker edition, I like Marquise Morris in a vacuum. Like there is still a lot of volatility with what Marquise does on offense. We have to see like what kind of bench units he's employed in and if they can reel him in at all. And P.J. Tucker is, you know, he's going to get all the corner shots he wants. So if he can get back to knock it down 40 percent of those or whatever, then I think that's going to be fine. But teams largely aren't going to guard him. So there's only so much impact you're getting there. Um, But I think as far as being better, like it starts with Lowry. I think he unlocks both of Miami's best players in a way that Goran Dragic just could not. Um, Dragic has struggled to get to the rim with the same level of frequency that he has. I mean, that's just natural due to aging and just the injury that he's coming off of from the finals and stuff like that. I think Lowry gives it a little bit more juice in transition, in the half court in particular, because he's a more dangerous and more willing pull-up threat. And I think just that combined with what he does off-ball as a screener, random cutter, random relocations, like I think that further unlocks what Bam Adebayo wants to do as a high-post hub. I think the screening element in particular is going to help unlock Jimmy Butler, give him some easier um, mismatches to hunt. Um, The butler Dragic pick and roll was quietly an effective weapon over the last couple of years and I think Lowry's going to be a better extension of that even if he's like ghosting some of those screens instead of setting them but he's a more effective movement shooter in that way so I think that gives Miami another element in the half court the half court offense for Miami was just really bad last year and I think what Lowry brings as a pull-up shooter as a playmaker and just some of the randomness that he adds I think he he helps that issue just by how good he is but also how he complements what Miami already has up top yeah I, I think that's a really good way of putting it and I'm also more optimistic about how Lowry is going to affect Miami's defense too. I mean, I think that having having another player who is totally capable offensively and can can fit in defensively, you know, can do different schemes. I mean, he did that in Toronto and can 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 kind of check all those boxes, then that means you're asking Duncan Robinson, you're asking Tyler Hero to do less, which is good because they can't really do much more defensively. And I think that the addition of PJ Tucker, yeah, I have I have questions about his offensive 
capabilities, but I thought that one of the most notable differences between the Heat team that made the finals and the Heat team that got drubbed by the Bucks was that power forward position. And BJ Tucker's not perfect, but he, I think he fills the Jay Crowder hole better than any of the guys they had last year. They hoped that Ariza could do it. They hoped that Iguodala could do it. Neither of them really stepped into that. And so, I because you want somebody who can space the four a little bit, but can also fit in defensively. And that is a, it's a, a challenging thing to fill. That's kind of why part of the reason why Bielitsa didn't really work there. And so they didn't necessarily perfectly answer both questions, but I think they I think they did well. And so if you combine having a better half-court offense, which I, I agree that was a, a real limitation of them last year, if you add in an improvement there and you're not sabotaging the defense, I think that's a that's a potent thing. But like like Nikaias, I'm not moving them into my top tier because they I don't I as much as their half-court offense is better, like I don't trust them as much that way. And also like it's inter- it's going to be really interesting to see how Miami defends the best teams. Like what assignments does Jimmy take on? Now the Bucks are a little different. Like I'm guessing they're going to use Bam as the primary defender on Giannis, which would which is going to be really interesting. But like how they maybe they'll probably use PJ at why times. Why not Tucker? Yeah, why yeah. not Tucker? Seems like that's what you got him for. Yeah, it could uh, be. I actually see it's funny. I actually think that Lowry is going to make a bigger impact on defense and offense too. Like I, I it seems to me in watching Miami over the years, this is a team that has obviously a great defensive identity, but had a big gaping hole. And Nakaz, you've written about it many times that their point of attack defense, you know, guarding perimeter players, you know, unless they were able to play that that zone as effectively as they were, they really struggled to guard, you know, frankly, the Trey Young types of the world, right? I mean, you know, that mm-hmm. was one of their big weaknesses. And you pointed out many times that even the switching of Bam out of bio onto the guard, now you've got a problem elsewhere, the offensive rebounding. I think more teams have figured out what the Kais you've written about for a while that like bam switching out may be good for that but it leaves a lot of holes elsewhere lowry to me solves that problem and that was a, a problem but as far as the half court offense is concerned i'm I, i'm my read on miami and why their half court offense really struggled is they just they didn't have the shooters they didn't have not just the guys who can make shots but the guys who can make movement threes and this is the the hole that they never filled when they lost Jay Crowder. You know, and it's also important to remember that Miami has basically been a like four or five seed, except for one stretch inside a bubble for the last really two years, you know, even during the season. And that stretch was when Jay Crowder was a 40% movement shooter and just couldn't miss. That's what they have never been able to replace. And I, I really don't think PJ Tucker is a great replacement for that because Jay Crowder is the type of player that's going to move around the perimeter and like launch above the break threes. He will he will put up a high volume of three pointers in addition. PJ Tucker is he stands in the corner and he's wide open and you give it to him and he shoots the three and he hits it at a certain point. He is not a guy that will be able to cut and flow and move in Miami's offense. And to me, that that's a central problem when your two best players, neither of them really are reluctant are, are aggressive three point shooters as well. So the big fear to me is that I don't think Miami's really done anything, even though Lowry is better and is a good offensive player. I don't think they've really done anything to solve the issue of all the the flow and the quick shot making that they had all of last year. I mean, that was missing, and I don't know if that's coming back. So I'm 
I'm actually more pessimistic than both of you. Like, I, I don't think they're better than Atlanta. Like, and I'm I'm wondering if maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves and thinking that they're even a lock for the top six. Wow. I mean, I probably have them there, but I, I just I, – it's hard for me to understand how Miami would finish ahead of Atlanta this season. Let's put it that way. I mean, I think Miami's – the defense will take another step. I mean, they were eighth last year, so it's not like they were horrible or anything like that. Um, and, and I think offensively they can be they can be more consistent. Um, one of the challenges, though, for the Heat, and we've brought up the depth a couple times, is that is even when you consider – how well this organization, so not just the NBA team, but the G League and everything else, have developed guys is that they don't have as many outs. Like, there aren't as many guys that's like, oh, okay, they, if they need somebody, this player could step up. Maybe, like, Max, Max Drews can get there. Maybe Gabe Vincent can get there. I guess it could be Oladipo. It, it could be. Healthy. It could be Oladipo. But it's like, there aren't there aren't as many, like... The the guys that you feel like are oh yeah and so these are this is the heat rotation and then these are the guys that can step in in case of an injury or just have the upside to potentially supplant somebody. Let's like I, I maybe it's that I'm just lower on this this collection of guys. I mean the front court yeah they have they have Markeith and they have Deadman who I've continued to like and maybe Oladipo gets there physically but I I'm not a big Casey Okpala fan really at all. <laughs> oh, oh well, no. Um and so and <laughs> you're telling that hurts. That <laughs> hurts. I mean yeah. And so I I mean the, so I'm a little bit less optimistic in that in that vein than I usually am on the heat of like oh yeah they have guys that can just next man up that can that can step in there. So if you know Tyler Hero has another year like his second year then okay then who's who's going to be able to take on some of that take on some of those responsibilities. That is a challenge for them. I think that's fair. Um I would say I am anticipating a better year for Hero just because how could it not be better than the circumstances he had sure. to deal with kind of being thrown into a new position on top of the shortened offseason, on top of the injuries that he had to deal with and the injuries around everyone else. And, like, that's not unique to Miami. Everyone dealt with injuries slash COVID stuff last year. But I do think for Hero, the just the career that he's had so far, like, I mean, first year was the bubble experience. So, like, I don't know. I think having some sense of normalcy is going to help for him. And I think having a guy, I mean, having Miami set up now that at least one of Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo should be on the floor at all times. Like, I think that takes some of that creation burden off of him. Sure. And I don't think Hero can be, like, a primary guy right now, um, even for the second unit. But having someone that can take pressure off of him and just kind of limit his responsibilities to that shot making or to the movement shooting if he's off ball, like, I think that's going to help him in that regard. And Miami does have their candidates for, like, those step-up guys. Like, Oladipo is the big one if he comes back uh Whenever he decide, whenever he comes back, I'm not sure what the timeline is at this point. Like it's, I've heard after January, I've heard maybe November, December. It's kind of all over the place with him. But like he's the big swing guy for them. Um, the Heat do like Max Struess a lot. Um, so as far as some of those wing minutes and the movement shooting, like Mike alluded to, like I think Struess can provide some of that. But uh, I mean the fact that it's can provide should be that just kind of leads to the point that Miami doesn't have it firm right now. So I definitely understand the pessimism there. It's also not a lot of two-way guys. It's Lowry is the best two-way guy in the team. So, you know, if you play more offense and you play hero more, play hero with Robinson, uh, play hero and play more Max Struess, now you're really struggling defensively on the wing. But if you play Tucker, you play Morris, you play uh, some of those guys, Paul, if he emerges, now you're struggling defensively. 
Yeah, to me, it's interesting we talk about breakout candidates. To me, the, there's really one breakout candidate that sort of shatters every all my pessimism if he does break out another step. That's Bam Adebayo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately, if he – so last year, he started flashing that mid-range shot. He was very aggressive with it. He hit a pretty good percentage of them. Uh, his form looks good. And then the playoffs happened, and they put Brook Lopez on him, and he suddenly forgot, like, all his confidence that he had gained – And it became a huge problem that Miami now didn't have spacing or long range shooting at multiple starting positions. You know, where if if Butler's not going to shoot a lot of threes, if Bam is just going to kind of try to be this this high post facilitator and he's not shooting a lot of threes, there's just not a lot of space out there. Now, Lowry will help. To me, the the question for Miami, the way they shatter my pessimism is, does Bam Adebayo turn into their primary scorer? Does he shoot threes? Does he do a li- try to vault himself out of just being kind of the, the high post dribble handoff guy? You saw glimpses of that last season, and it was encouraging for a while. To me, he's got to take another step forward, and I am I, curious, Nikias, if you think he will. Um, I think he can. Like, I do think that might be the biggest positive about the Kyle Lowry signing is that you want Bam to be aggressive anyway, but also there are some self-creation limitations there that I think Lowry alleviates just with the way that he, maybe with the way that he passes and can unlock Bam and pick and roll in that way. But also just the pull-up shooting. Like, I think just that extra bit of attention is going to give Bam a little bit more space to create. Even since his rookie year, one of the things that I pointed out early on when I was writing for Miami Heat Beat is, like, Bam was coming off the bench, but he was oddly, like, a high free-throw rate guy. And, like, that's kind of continued, at least positionally, him being a high free-throw rate guy. So he's a guy that can get downhill, get to the line, get some easy ones that way. If he has more creases to attack, then I think that creates a pretty simple path for him to be a more aggressive, effective, efficient scorer. Okay. And he could also, I think there's another step, half step defensively too for Bam. I've been critical at times that, I mean, depending on what scheme Spo wants to run, that, that he can get caught out and that can be a challenge because Miami doesn't really have supplemental rim protection. So depending on what they want to run, sometimes that's a challenge, sometimes that's not. And I think Bam, I think there's room for him to grow there. And he's not ever going to be, you know, he's not ever going to be seven feet tall with a seven foot eight wingspan or whatever. That's that, but that's not what he does well. But becoming the best version of himself and like, like Nikaias brought up, having more, more, having a larger margin for error defensively because they have more defensive talent, I would argue, this year. That could make giving him a, a, a more manageable role, you know, not having to figure out with Dragic, like Lowry to Dragic there is, is important too. So, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. here, here's the way I put it. If, if Bam Adebayo is an all-NBA center, when we consider how high that threshold is with the reigning MVP, my permitted MVP, which are two different people, and then Gobert, who's the defensive player of the year and everything else, if he can get into that mix, then we're starting to think about Miami in a different way. I put it a different way. Uh, can Bam outscore Jimmy this year? You know, that, I think, is actually would be a really positive development for everybody. Uh, what were their averages last year? I should probably have looked this up. I mean, there's a big difference between them last year. I kind of think that Jimmy carried too heavy yeah. a load so, last year. So last year, if, if we're talking just per game, 21.5 points per game yeah. for, for Jimmy and then 18.7 for Bam. If you want to go per 36, it's about the same margin. Those guys didn't play dramatically yeah. different per game minutes. Actually, they played Bam's, almost exactly the same. Yeah, Bam's usage was about 24 to 26 so they're inching closer together but i think if miami wants to i think capitalize on their potential i'd like to see that line crossed 
you know, I think that's going to be healthy for everyone. Um, and so, because I mean, last year they really, when Butler played, they were good. When Butler didn't play, they were not good. <laughs> you know, Butler just does so many different things. But I think it also showed, certainly in the playoffs, certainly down the stretch, that like Butler's time as like the no-brainer number one guy. And really, I think it's healthiest if it starts to ebb and flow and end, and he can then focus more on all the other stuff he does. And that, I think, is more on band than anyone else. So, I don't know, to me, he's the most important player on the team by far. You know, all this other stuff that they did, it's it's nice and cute and may help, but he's got to be... I mean, you, you, I don't know exactly where you'd rank him, but I think the, the key is more he's got to be the team's primary offensive player instead of sort of a 1B or a, a sidekick. And to that point, like Jimmy Butler absolutely wants Bam to be that guy. Like it, it was kind of funny to track throughout the year where Jimmy's sometimes subtly and then later not so subtly saying, hey, shoot the ball. Like you're our best guy. Like he's fine with taking over, obviously, but he kind of wants to settle in to that. And you see how it kind of bores out on play, particularly in the 2020 season, but last year as well. Like Jimmy is fine with facilitating the offense, driving, kicking, and then once the fourth quarter hits, like, okay, cool. I'll give you eight <laughs> points in the last three minutes. Like that's a little too fine sometimes. Yeah. Like that's that's generally what he wants to do. And so I think as uneven as the season was for Bam, like he did take a step. And I think it's important that he was at times forced to kind of be that primary creator. Like the obvious high point was the 40 point game against Brooklyn. Like that's not something you should expect from him. But just kind of having that consistent offensive burden to where he doesn't have to be proud to do so like that. I agree with you. Like that's probably the most important step for his heat team looking forward. Right. So, so Mike, and, I looked at the stats on it. When Butler was on the floor, this is cleaning the glasses, garbage time filter. The heat were basically a plus five net rating. When Jimmy Butler was off the floor, negative five. That is yeah, a that, huge margin. And I mean, honestly, that plus five is great. If you get that negative five net rating down, if you get that improved to like a zero, if you get it to flat, then the Heat are a very good team. Um, the other wrinkle that I wanted to talk about with Miami that I think is so important for kind of putting this offseason in perspective is how it affects their flexibility moving forward. And that's, you know, they not only getting Lowry on a three-year deal, but also the big the big deal with Duncan Robinson and Jimmy Butler getting an extension as well, that, yes, they have a really talented front office. They can make pivots. That was the, one of the most impressive things that they did after the disastrous 2017 offseason they had was getting getting off of some of that stuff, including the crazy trade when they got Iguodala and, and offloaded all that bad money because the Grizzlies really wanted Justice Winslow. But generally speaking, their intention is for this to be their team for the next three plus years. And what I'm interested in for you guys is not agreeing or disagreeing that that happened, but what did they give up? What Was there another path here? Like maybe you hard play it a little bit with Jimmy and you say, okay, two years from now, this is going to be Bam's team. We suffer a little bit, but then we're Miami. We can maybe in 2023, we have a little bit more spending power. We can get into, we can get into this stuff. And like maybe then whoever the disgruntled star is, free agency or that, we can do it. Or was it like, this is this is their best shot. Might as well give it their best shot. Um, I think for Miami, they feel like it was the latter, like it was their best shot. Like Jimmy Butler, you know, missed time with COVID and stuff like that. But last year was the best season of his career. So I understand, A, you have a max guy giving the max extension when you can keep that guy healthy. But also they do want to maximize that window. And if you do have some of the shot creation concerns for Bam within the context of him being a number one, like maximizing the Jimmy window for two years or three years while Bam figures that out. Like, I think that kind of sets you up for like a natural transition period 
in that regard as well. So I understand them going that route. And, I mean, if you can get a guy like Kyle Lowry and kind of pushing your chips to the table that way, like it makes sense. And we just saw in 2020, you know, maybe the bubble isn't a thing that you can kind of count on. But, like, just that term, I mean, just in terms of your matchups are your matchups in the playoffs. And if you get the right kind of bracket and you go on the right kind of run, like anything can happen. And they do have top high-level high top-end talent. So I, mean, I understand them kind of making the bet to push their chips to the table now. It seems to me that the decision that they may regret has already happened, which was, you know, should they have more aggressively put guys like Hero into trade packages for a James Harden, you know, or someone like that? You know, it seemed like they were holding out for Giannis, and that obviously didn't come true. But at this point, I don't really know what the other option is to Nikias's point. You know, it's just, it's just that at some point you decided you're a win now team, but you're also like a little reluctant to throw in your best prospects at a different point. Now I think it's too late, mm-hmm. or maybe Hero will play better and they have options i mean danny i mean you said it like this is not exactly this is a pretty creative for an office that uh finds ways so i think that they're right to trust that i guess you could argue like was lowry for all that money really worth it but you know i think it does solve a need so i, I don't know if it would have been even better to split that cat space up so uh, I, to me they've already made the, the mistake that may cost them was just maybe believing in their bubble team a little too much, some of their youngsters, and not trying to upgrade with the trade there. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, that's the other part of the hero equation, and we're going to see similar with Taylor Horton Tucker on the Lakers. It's basically like these young guys that were holding back, that these teams that that, that they were held back in trades. And, I mean, you could argue for the Lakers, maybe they could have gotten Kyle Lowry, and then that, that this whole thing changes for Miami. And so Ken Hero, THT, some of these other guys that were that made it so that Harden ended up on the on the Nets and Lowry in some ways ended up on the Heat. Like, are they worth it? Uh, I want to I want to pivot to asking Mike a question, which is we, we've talked about a lot about whether the Heat got better and everything with their offseason. What about the Wizards? Do you think the 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 Wizards are better? Let's say just talent in, talent out. Do you think they're better now than they were last year? I think they're better a little bit. I think I'm going to enjoy watching them like 700 times more than I did last year. Uh, so I'll say that. I the the tra- the trick though is that like it's it's really hard to kind of figure out what exactly this team's going to look like. It's just like it's almost like they have like the old like defector dead spin. Like let's name some guys. That's their roster. They just have like this jammed, overloaded like kind of group of pieces that you're not sure if they fit. Um, but I think they'll probably be better. I mean, I, I thought that Westbrook season was overrated. I think I've made that pretty clear. Um, certainly it's tough to value how much, how much was his like sort of presence so important to kind of getting him into that last push. And then how do you weigh that versus all the stuff it takes off the table versus the way the season began the way he began. Um, but I think they have more, I think they have more talent. I also kind of am intrigued to see what West Sunsell Jr. does with this team. Uh, I'm kind of excited about that. I like a lot of what I've heard, um, but we'll have to see whether, you know, at the end of the day, it is still Bradley Beal and the second best player, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's a nice player who's coming off the torn ACL. And it's still a lot of question marks. It's just they have more different question marks, uh, maybe slightly more proven question marks. So I I think they got better. I'm not sure it's going to materially matter in the standings. Like I, I could see their record flipping from what it was last year. 
but yeah, no, I think they, I think they're better, um, and I think they're going to have a system that makes more sense. Um, the way I would phrase it, I think they're more balanced because they very much could not defend at all up until that last stretch of the season where they oddly had a fine defensive rating. But like, I still didn't love the personnel that they had. Um, so I do think if you're flipping out Russ, like I don't think Dinwiddie is like if he's a better defender than Russ, then isn't by much. But I do think kind of adding some wing depth there. Um, getting KCP, getting Kuzma, who's you know quietly a fine defender. Um, just kind of, I, I do like that there was some intention with trying to fix the defensive infrastructure from last year. Um, you know, you would have a better handle on Wes Unsell Jr. than I would at this point because I just don't follow, you know, I don't follow the Wizards as closely as you do. But I do think it's good that they made the effort to do that. Um, I don't, I don't see them moving up a tier. Like I think they're more balanced. I don't know if they're better. Because, I mean, it, you're banking a lot on Spencer Dinwiddie getting back to kind of destroying worlds at the rim coming off of that injury. And, like, maybe he gets there. But even if he does, like, I don't think he provides the same rim volume that Russ does. And from there, he doesn't provide the same level of playmaking that Russ does. So, like, he could still be good, but I don't know if he'll replicate the kind of impact that Russ can have on the offense in that way. Yeah. No, I think that's, that's probably about right. I mean, I don't think they're... I don't think they're better than the Heat. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I don't Miami. Even, well, so the so to me, and I think this is part of what will make the Wizards more watchable this year. I think they're really going to miss Robin Lopez defensively. Like that was the the underrated mm-hmm. part. I mean, and Matt Moore and I have had arguments about this in terms of whether Thomas Bryant was looking better defensively in the very short time he played before he got injured. And that was you know super unfortunate for him. But having Robin Lopez on the floor a lot, I thought that really helped them defensively. Some of the rim protection got better. They were able to able to rebound better and all that. And now the I mean the set so that I agree with Nikias that the defense the perimeter defense, the non center defense is a lot better. Like they, you know, adding KCP, adding Kuzma, who is improve who's a better defender than a lot of guys they had in the rotation. Like those things can can make it better. And maybe maybe Gafford takes a big step up. We'll see what West wants to do at center. That's gonna be a really important question for this team. That's, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, like who does he want to play? Because they also have Harrell on like Harold last year was a part of a successful defense, and part of that for me, like I give more credit there to Vogel than to Harold, but maybe that's unfair. Maybe that's just me keeping my previous Harold can't play defense biases in play, and maybe he showed something. We'll have to we'll get a, a nice little piece of data on that. Um, but like I, I do like Spencer Dinwiddie. I think that that they can do that. But what one of the things that I like about the Wizards, and this comes on the heels of what I just talked about, with Miami, is that they have a lot of options. And maybe this roster changes over the course of the season. The other wrinkle of this is it's like they're I think they're better talent in talent out, but in terms of whether they'll be better is is the question of what happens with Bradley Beal. You know, Beal oh, yeah. is is extension he's he I can't remember the exact timing of whether he is extension eligible now or whether he will become it. I, I could look that up at some point. But basically there's a distinct chance that he is not a wizard at the end of the year. Almost every trade where Bradley Beal is no longer a wizard makes the wizards worse. But that's a separate thing. I don't I don't think that's as interesting a point other than it being its own thing. It's just like how how does that play out? I mean it's 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 hard to know it's sort of on the based on the whims of Bradley Beal ultimately. Uh and so far, yeah, there was a little wavering at the beginning of the summer. Uh but I think all the trades that they've made, all the moves that they've made have been blessed by him. So we'll just have to see how that, that comes out. Um 
you know, they're definitely look. I'll put it this way: they're way better positioned for the future. I mean, they have yes. a lot more optionality. There's mm-hmm. no question. Um, so just if you can have that and maintain the type of team you have, that's good. You know, it will be interesting. I, I do think the the question of what type of team will this will West Sunset Junior kind of forge this to be is an interesting one. I I don't know a ton about how he's going to be as a coach. Nobody does really. I mean, assistants jumping to the main seat. What you tend to hear is. He's very pragmatic, incredibly detail-oriented. He did a really good job helping find a system that kind of worked defensively for the Denver Nuggets, given their odd personnel. Uh, so I have confidence that he can do that again. You know, he seems like on the one level, this it's the type of coach that is like really good fit with a team that's got like all these different parts and just needs some way to kind of put them together. On the other hand, the one thing I wonder about, and this is sort of something that I wonder about just in general, is we. Fo- I know I focus so much on the negatives of like kind of Russ mania, uh, where he just sort of takes over your team. And how that can just flatten out everybody else. And, like, your team is basically built in Russell Westbrook's image. He is just all-encompassing. The one upside to that, of course, is that he, Russell Westbrook, is a culture builder. Russell Westbrook is somebody who can kind of define the basics of what you're trying to do. Uh, I think there's no subtlety to it. Wes Unseld, I wonder about the opposite problem now. Uh, And I'm I'm curious to see how this works out. You know, where they've got like a lot of interesting pieces. You know, Wes is known for being pragmatic. But what is the the style that we're playing? What is the core identity? What is the the way we want to play? Uh, I wonder what that's going to end up looking like. And if there's a possibility that all these parts will be in service of nothing concrete. Um, But I do suspect they will look different defensively this year. I I doubt that they're going to play as conservatively as they did with Lopez on the floor. I could see them playing more aggressively. Uh, Also kind of curious what these kids look like. Uh, So I think they'll be more interesting um, all in all. I just wonder if it it all adds up, what it all adds up to. identity-wise. The last thing I'll say is the one thing I'm also worried about with this team is that it's not a good passing team. They don't have a lot of great passers. Uh, mm-hmm. So I suspect that they will have nights where they are lights out and they beat teams that they shouldn't beat, but they will also have nights where it looks really stagnant, where the ball doesn't move, where it's a lot of Bradley Beal and Dinwiddie shooting step backs or doing the stuff that that West doesn't want them to do. Uh, it's just you look around at all the positions, and there's not one guy who's like, that guy's an above-average passer first position, really, on the team. And I, I think that will cause a lot of inconsistency. Yeah, the, I, think I, th- I think it's fair. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think that's a fair point. Like, I think, obviously, I think Beal and Dinwiddie are your best passers, but, like, both of those guys, less is more so Dinwiddie than Beal, but the ball can kind of stick. Um, so... On that regard, like, I do think it's a positive sign. I mean, for one, if Davis Bertans can knock down shots again, I think that that's a big boom for the offense. They can kind of alleviate some of the pure playmaking concerns if he can just shake free and kind of open the floor for people and make those reads easier. But um, beyond that, I think, you know, him having a bounce back, having a guy like KCP that can fly off screens for you, like, I think having some more movement guys, um, even to that regard, replacing Lopez with more Gafford, who is 
not just a good rim roller. He's a violent rim roller. Yes, he is. Um, if, if they do keep Montrez Harrell, he's a guy that gets to the rim fast. And then just the pick and pop nature, Thomas Bryant, depending on how they flow him in there. Like, I think you can, they have built in ways to kind of alleviate some of the playmaking concerns. Like, there is a major drop off from what Russ provides as a passer and a rim threat than, you know, from Dinwiddie and Bill. So I think having those kind of shooters and having those kind of options to kind of create space in other ways, like, I think they can kind of bend around that. Mm-hmm. Well, and then no, the, I, think, the, I think that's right. The other thing that that I think is a key, that is a really good question for the Wizards to have, or a good option, is that they don't have a lot of, none of the guys, well, we'll see what Tommy pushes with Hashimura um, and Denny, but like, I don't think of any of the players, especially with a new coach, having so much equity with the with the organization that if other players are better than them, that they that they will like still be marginalized. So like, let's say Kyle Kuzma is awesome and he, you know, he exceeds expectations and he fits in offensively, you know, being in a more loose struct, like, you know, not not being in a LeBron team, like opens things up for him. And they're like, oh, no, you still have to come off the bench because we drafted Rui Hashimura in the lottery, you know, a couple years ago. We need to play him. I'm guessing Unseld is going to have the latitude to to do that. Now, maybe a little bit with Avdia because when he's healthy, because he's been, you know, he was a, he was a more recent pick and everything else like that. But that's a good thing because what that means is there's a lot of ver- volatility, variability with this team. And you can use that to your advantage or you can use that not to your advantage. You know, like, that that you get, the, you get the benefits, but then you don't get the downsides. And so I'm hopeful that that's going to work out. Not certain, but hopeful. Yeah, I mean, that could cut both ways too. Where sure. Does Wes, does Wes, as a first-time coach, have the gravitas to be able to manage ego playing time issues you know does he have the conviction does he have i I don't know the answer is i don't know uh but that could cut both ways so it's gonna be really interesting to see how that plays out uh do you guys think wizards are better than charlotte because i do and i'm curious uh if i'm alone in that uh i personally lean no but I don't know if that's more about my Charlotte optimism or just me still being a little concerned about how Washington's going to dole out the rotation minutes and stuff. I know which team is more fun to watch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I, what, is the, what is the case for Charlotte optimism? Because uh, outside of perhaps their talent level being fun and interesting, I do wonder, I do have a lot of questions about whether they can duplicate some of the stuff they did last year. So, so for me, or uh, uh, for me, the optimism for the Hornets is that I think there's another big step that they can take offensively. Not saying they significantly upgraded their offensive talent. I mean, this is, I mean, really, they. You could argue that they swapped Devonte Graham for for Ish Smith. You know, that's the point guard part of it, and then Malik and Caleb Martin, I guess, for Kelly Oubre, and then um, Zeller for Plumlee. That's not a huge lateral thing, but they have Lamelo, who's immensely talented, who's going to improve. And they have a lot of other young players that kind of like getting, and I think Borrego did a nice job coaching them. And so like, I think that the ecosystem there can get a little bit better. My concern with Charlotte is that I, I wonder, like they, they were able to kind of cobble together this interesting defense last year, despite not having great defensive talent. And it's not like they dramatically improved that. So I, I don't know, but I, I, I have those teams kind of, uh, the way I think of it is in the same tier, but I think I probably, uh, I don't really know which one I have above, so I'll toss it to the guys. Yeah, like I think uh, just to add to what Charlotte has, like getting Gordon Hayward back would be pretty helpful for them in terms of half-court creation. Like I have liked Charlotte's offseason overall. 
of like losing Devontae Graham kind of hurts from the pull-up perspective. But like Ish Smith is a guy that can actually get to the rim, which is which was quietly an issue for Charlotte last year. Like they just didn't have enough of those guys, I felt like. So even for 14 minutes a night, just having a guy that can get to the rim and kind of create some open looks for him, I think that'll help them in the time that LaMelo isn't on the floor, or even if that's just taking pressure off of them. But I think that's kind of my thing for Charlotte. Like, they wanted to add some rim pressure. Like, I think being able to get Oubre in the building and get him in this ecosystem where they're going to play more up-tempo, you have the inventive passer in LaMelo. I think the reads are going to be simplified for him, and he's one of their better athletes already, just on the wing. Um, I don't know how much they're going to rely on Kai Jones this year. Like, very raw, but he is a guy that can get downhill for you um, as a rim threat. He's just a freaky athlete in general. So I like I like that they're adding that kind of rim pressure to what they already have in terms of shooting and stuff. But I do echo your concerns. Like I don't know where the defense goes from here. Like I think Plumlee is a slight downgrade from Cody Zeller in that regard. I could be off on that, but I do think he's kind of a slight downgrade there. Um, we'll see which version of Ubre we get on the wing there. Um, but I do think this is a fun team. Like I think they piece some things together. Like there was intention in trying to get more rim pressure on the roster. That should make things easier for LaMelo. Um, you won't have to rely on Terry Rozier in particular to do that. Um, so if there's some regression there, maybe you get it back from Hayward being back and just having more guys that can create some vertical pressure there. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at on Charlotte. Like, I don't think they're going to make a leap in tier, per se. Um, I think they're right there with Washington. I'll probably have them maybe a game or two ahead if you want to eyeball it that way. So so Charlotte last year very much outperformed their point differential. They did. Uh, I have to look at exactly what the number was, but it was pretty significant. They were very good in close games. They didn't have a lot of Hayward, but when they, they had him for half the year, he had a pretty strong season. And he was when they didn't have him, they really struggled. Uh, so yeah, okay, if he plays eighty-two, that would probably help. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Uh, they lose. They relied a lot on on Graham and really Monk for large stretches, particularly with Lamelo out. I think Schmidt is like a fun player in some ways to watch. I'm I'm not sure that if you you take them both away and replace him with Ish and. I, I really don't know what we can expect from Book Night. I thought he looked kind of slow in summer league, frankly. I mean, maybe there's something there, but I think they're down. They're worse in the in the guard position. Rozier had a great year last year. So did Miles Bridges. Can they duplicate that this year? You know, can Rozier have the same level of shooting quality as he did last year? I'm a little skeptical of that. I think they downgraded at center. Like I think Cody Zell is pretty underrated. Uh, Mason Plumley, I'm just not sure. I mean, particularly as a screener and Zell are kind of rolling in that being rim pressure. You can talk about rim pressure. Mason Plumley offers you none of that. Maybe Kai Jones is better than we think as a rookie. I'm not sure. Uh, I do like. I do think Uber is a better fit there, and I, I do think perhaps his his ability to cut, particularly in five out situations, is like its own form of rim pressure. Guess we'll see if PJ Washington finally shows some more promise. Like the theory of him is great. I don't know if the reality matches up. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I see a lot of regression candidates here. Uh, I'm not sure that a lot of these guys can maintain the offensive level they showed. You know, and and I think it's asking a lot for Lamelo to leap into All Star level in his second year to make up for that. I also am concerned that about the defense. I'm particularly concerned. I think that they relied a lot on some junk schemes and creative switches and sort of a lot of that stuff that the league now has a year of tape on. Uh, and so why, who's to say that the defense won't just get a lot worse than even what it was? So 
again, fun team. I I would be surprised if they made the playoffs. I right now have them as one of the teams that's missing the play in. Uh, wow. I just think there's a lot that's of possible. a lot of candidate, a lot of reason to expect some regression, and I also think some of the positives about them are fueled a little bit more by how fun they are than how good they are. And that doesn't mean they didn't have a bad, they didn't make the right decisions this off season. Uh, I think it would have been too much to pay Graham what they paid him, but I expect a slight step back this year before maybe some steps forward in the future. So something I want to keep an eye on for Charlotte um, is that they gave up. So I, I, I agree that the defensive schemes really opened things up, you know, that Borrego, they, they got a lot out of, let's call it limited defensive talent. They also had this, they have a lot of theoretical ground to gain in terms of the where they gave up shots. So Charlotte gave up among the most attempts at the rim last year and among the most attempts from three last year. Um, a lot of corner threes in particular. They gave up 12.2% of opponent shots were from three. So if they can do that, if they can give up shots in slightly better locations, maybe that shift some of it you could argue that was a necessary evil of kind of what they were doing and there were there were other but, benefits but why would they what what would change like what about their personnel has changed well, i mean they have a lot of young like guys that. that are a year older i think that that can sometimes help um and i mean okay. that that's a it's a possibility they also did rebound really well last year and that's kind of a surprise defensively and that's kind of a surprise when you consider the personnel but i don't know it's interesting I mean, they 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 don't have more rim protection. You know, they probably have less. I don't know if that was even possible. I'm not sure they've really improved their point of attack defense in any way. You know, they still have the same set of wings unless Ubre can really capitalize on his potential as a lockdown defender. And I'm just not sure we're going to see that. So I, other than them just sort of being young, I don't really see why any of that would change. I think perhaps we're we're kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves with young guys will just improve linearly here. That's fair. Yeah, definitely get good sign there. Like I do think and maybe this is harsh. Like I think the point of attack probably approves a little bit with addition by subtraction. Like I just think Devontae Graham's really bad there. And like with the way that they relied on him in stretches, like that's a lot of minutes and where he's defending primaries. And like Ish Smith isn't a world beater in that regard, but I do think he's better than Devontae. So I do think there's a step up there. LaMelo was not a good defender on balance, but he was a lot better than I was anticipating him to be last year. So like he's also a smart guy and a guy that can work off ball. So like I do think there's room for him to grow there as well. Um, Plumlee's fine positionally. Like I do think again, he's a downgrade from Zeller. So I don't think as far as pure rim protection, like that's probably gonna be a problem. But if you do have Ubre, you do get a step from Lamelo. Um, you have less minutes with bad defenders on the floor. Like I think there's a natural progression there just to be better, just because you're not who you were last year. So maybe that's the case for him. Maybe I Could think be. it's equally likely that they'd be worse. But yeah. prove me wrong, Charlotte. <laughs> I, I love uh, you're a fun team to watch. I, I enjoy watching you play. Uh, but I. I'm definitely down on your chances this year. So a team we haven't talked about at all so far is the Orlando Magic. And I thought that the Magic, I'm thrilled for them organizationally that they were able to get Jalen Suggs. I really, I I liked the film on him. And I think that that's a a good place for him to be, especially with the Magic probably being bad enough that they're going to bring in other good players. So we can kind of, Suggs can be a part of a more viable collection over, you know, probably two, three years from now. It does create a real challenge for Jamal Mosley, though, because now you have Marco Fultz, who they gave an extension to and then barely played after that because he got hurt. And then you have Cole Anthony, who you you know used a high draft pick on recently. You have Jalen Suggs. And some of those guys can work on ball, can work off ball. And then you have RJ Hampton, who's intriguing. So 
what I mean beyond so he has that the like the backcourt not only it's who do you play but how do you structure the offense who gets the ball who plays off all that type of stuff but then you also have two centers I think the center thing with bomb well you have two centers then you have a third center in Robin Lopez who's better than both of them right now um, and Mo Wagner and Mo Wagner and, Mo Wagner. and so like and they have I, Franz Wagner uh, they also have like six Power forwards is like an annual trick. <laughs> they have so many power forwards. You know, like Javon Isaac is presumably going to play some point this year. They've I got mean, Okiki. Conceptually. I know Okiki. You like Okiki. Nikaias. They have – it feels like they have like a zillion forwards too, and they have no threes. They have Franz Wagner now. Uh, so, yeah, I, don't, I mean just the playing time. I mean I know there's sort of a, a point where it's like too early to worry about these things, but it's just a, it's a bizarre shaped roster for now, that's for sure. Yeah, they're going to end up doing the thing where they're like either playing three-point guards all the time or they're going to have like three fours on the roster at the same time. Like, we always talk about like line of versatility and having all these options and like for a team like the Magic who just don't have like a middleman, literally, it's just going to be a lot of weird roster construction. So like there's always the fear that, you know, like Cole Anthony is an intriguing prospect to be. RJ Hampton is an intriguing prospect to me. Jalen Suggs is just flat out good. Yep. Um, we'll see what happened with Fultz and stuff like that. But it's just like, okay, if you're expecting a leap from Cole Anthony, how does he do it? when he's sharing the floor with two other guys and needs the ball and stuff like that. So it's just like, are they, it's cool to have a bunch of young prospects. Like in a vacuum, I like a lot of the young guys that Orlando has, but it's also like you need one of them. One, you really need multiple of those guys to make some sort of leap. And it's like, okay, what is the pathway to them doing that when they have so many other guys within their position group that kind of overlap in skill set, overlap in skies and limit what you want to do. Like it's, this is just a weird roster for Jamal Mosley to inherit. Yeah. Uh, Nikaias, let me ask you a question. Danny, you too. Like, this is something I've been wondering ever since draft day, right? Because I, I watch, I, I, you watch more film on these on these prospects than I do. Like, I watch Suggs and I see what he did in Summer League before he, he sat. You know, I, I see sort of the, the makeup of this team. The, the one thing I keep asking myself, and I'm curious what you think of this, is that at number four, Masai Ujiri, who is an incredibly incredible evaluator of talent you know his his draft record speaks for itself they've got a very clear need for jalen suggs in mm-hmm. that they lose lowry and he doesn't take him and he instead takes scotty uh scotty Barnes. Yeah, yeah. why, why was i thinking about scotty reynolds um <laughs> scotty <laughs> he might... he does take scotty Barnes, who obviously offers a lot but he is very much like in the ilk of what they already have and mm-hmm. I would that th- my first instinct is like, why would he do that? But it's Masai Jiri and it's Toronto and he knows what he's doing. Does that ever make you wonder when you think about Suggs' long term potential? Or is that just like, am I like, is that like a matter of overthinking something? I think it's a matter of overthinking just because it was Masai that made this decision. I think if this was another point guard needy team at four and then they went Barnes over Suggs, then it's just kind of like, okay, where does the faith waver when it comes to Suggs? Like, is it the pull-up shooting? Like, is there some sort of concern with, I don't know, him defensively? Like, I, I don't think he projects to be a bad defender at all. But, like, do they feel like there isn't a lot of upside beyond, wouldn't like... It, wouldn't it, if, if, if Masai knows what he's doing, wouldn't that exacerbate those fears rather than... Um alleviate them like like real you know, Masai must notice something interesting here like that's that something's wrong he must be right um I think for Masai's case and just how Toronto is structured already um I think that says more about how highly he views Barnes more so than any kind of detriment against Suggs because well, I think they just 
they love the kind of versatility that Barnes can bring to that, that kind of size. So here, here's the here's the big part of it for me. I think that Masai a lot of times takes the long view, and his thing is who's going to be the better player, and that ties in. And so if he thinks Barnes is going to be better than Suggs, I I personally, from the film I watched, I disagree. That happens. It's okay. But the other part of this that I think is so interesting is it's not about the positional conflict now. It's about thinking where the roster could be. And one of the elements of Toronto's player development so far is that they've made a lot of limited shooters better shooters. And the whole thing that was the reason I was lower on Scotty Barnes than a lot of guys was that I don't I don't think his jump shot's going to come around. If you were to tell me that Scotty Barnes was going to be a, either a reliable catch-and-shoot guy or a competent pull-up guy, all of a sudden I think about his game completely differently. So I think it might be two different things. Like, Masai understands how they can mold somebody like this. And yes, is he blocked by Pascal Siakam right now? Yes. Is is Scotty Barnes going to be blocked by Pascal Siakam two, three years from now? I would bet no. I think that Pascal Siakam, will be, some, <laughs> Pascal Siakam will be somewhere else. And so yeah. I think that... There's that. And then the other part, which is, um, I think, a real challenge with Jalen Suggs, who I, I liked. I didn't love him in the same way that I think that some have, is that I'm less sold on Suggs being the lead ball handler on a really successful offense. Like, you know, the he, being, I think that he's going to be a very good overall player. I've made the comparisons, not saying he's going to be the extremes of this, of Drew Holiday, where it's like, he can be a really good player without being that guy, because I think uh, we'll see where Suggs' mm-hmm. shot gets. But it is that's a very hard needle thread. If Masai agrees with with me on that component of it, that he's not going to be, you know, like a Trey Young, a Kyrie Irving, a player who you put him on, you you put him on an average roster and the Raptors are going to change around a lot over the next couple of years, that he can't be that guy. Incidentally, another player I've levied that criticism at is Fred Van Vliet. That those players are harder to work. You can do it. The Raptors won a championship with you know with some of those kind of guys playing significant roles, but they also had Kawhi Leonard and Kyle Lowry, so it's a little bit easier to make it work. So Kyle Lowry's one of those types of players, isn't he? Arguably, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, maybe maybe like that's how it was. So for me, like the, to tie the needle back to the thing that. Uh, I think the Kaius was talking about about like this like roster of a zillion point guards and a zillion just this unbalanced roster. The reason I sort of asked the question is obviously we'll see if Masai made the right decision, but to me for our Suggs would have to kind of take over that team to solve one of this central problem of they just got a lot of guys at a lot of the positions and they might cancel each other out in terms of their development. You know, Suggs would have to be like kind of day one, like no brainer. I'm way better than these guys and everyone else is going to fall in line. And if a GM like Masai sees Scotty and Barnes at least in the same tier, that calls that into question for me. So from a long-term standpoint, I'm just wondering if maybe if Suggs isn't like the guy that just takes over a team, will he become just the next in a long line of Orlando Magic combo guards that don't reach their potential because they're blocked by other guys? That to me is like sort of a long-term question for Orlando, and that's why I sort of pose the question of, what does it say about Suggs that Masai pass on him? I think that's a fair concern to have. Like, I'm not 100% so I'm not going to pretend like I'm a draft nick or anything like that. But, like, I'm not 100% sold on Suggs being, like, a top eight, top, you know, like a top six, top eight point guard in the league at the high end. But, like, I think the concern I had from him from what I watched, like, I didn't know, like, how effective of a pull-up guy he was going to be. And I think for a team like Orlando, they definitely need somebody that can create something for themselves and kind of open up the floor for everyone else because it's just so cramped with 
the way that the roster is construct, constructed. So, like, it was encouraging to me, like, watching him in summer league for however many grains of salt you want to take that with, that, like, he came out off the gate, like, pulling up against unders and just mm-hmm. flowing into those pull-ups and looking good there. So, like, if that's the big, if he was really freaking good in college and is a really good prospect, really good athlete, and, like, that was the question mark, and if that's answered, then I think it's, I mean, obviously that's encouraging and that gives you more reason to believe that he can be that kind of right. take the reins guys. Because ultimately, even if he's not an elite pull-up shooter or something like that, like you look at the point guard prospects that the Magic have, like I think he has the least amount of questions. I mean, yeah, it, I think he's the best one. I mean, just based on watching him in summer league, I mean, he looked like a young Brandon Roy to me a lot of the time, you know, where he mm-hmm. just sort of gets where he wants to go and it all works. And he, look, he maybe also, Masai made a mistake. It's I mean, possible. It's just, it's just sort of that yeah. that question that lingers. And and, he, and also, like, Jalen Suggs, I don't put too much into this. Again, how many ever many grain of salt you have. He had one of the best defensive performances I've ever seen in summer league at the end of that game against the Warriors where he's yeah. flying all around. I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, they have, like, you know, he's one of the smallest guys on the floor and he was everywhere and that's defensive instincts that's intensity that's everything else and along the lines of what Nikias was saying like for me the most encouraging part of Jalen Suggs taking all those pull-up shots wasn't whether they went in or not but as he said as you said whether that he took them because an important element that we find out in this part of why I love summer league so much the first summer league and then theoretically if he plays the second summer league is identification of what a player thinks of themselves and what they need to work on. And so for for Suggs, like these guys are all immensely physically talented, and Suggs certainly qualifies for that. You only have so much development time. You only have so much that you can do. And you get a little sense of, oh, this is what he wants to do. This is what he wants to work on. This is what and so if Suggs is going to use some of that time to become a more dangerous pull-up shooter, that's not a guarantee that he's going to do it. But you know what? Some guys, Ben Simmons, don't you know you you don't necessarily get get the encouraging signs of that's what they want to do and you see see that so i'm not saying it's going to happen right away but if jalen suggs puts in that time in the lab over the next two to three years it's a better chance that he gets there and part of the reason i'm optimistic about suggs is both due to positional size and kind of where he fits in defensively why and i've gotten wrong and this is part of why i was horrendously wrong on dante exum is that even if suggs isn't that guy, I still think he can work within a system. So whether that's that you get a James Harden, LeBron type who can run the show and be bigger, and so the Suggs is guarding ones but playing off the ball, or you get somebody who's smaller, so Suggs is largely your two. It's not, you know, that's, if you get a starting two with the number five pick, yeah, you're probably happy with that. But it does give Orlando more options. And part of why I like Suggs so much is that I think he fits well with other talented players, something he did a whole lot at Gonzaga. Yeah, I mean, all this makes me think that, like, that there's some, this is too good to be true for Orlando, and, like, maybe it just is. Uh, so, I mean... Because all these reasons we're speaking out, the first thought I had is like, wow, all these things would be really good for the Raptors, wouldn't they? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's why it was for they didn't take him. Yeah, I just think it's uh, maybe maybe they really did. It's interesting. It's just a question that I've had for months now, uh, which is like all these things sound like he would be a great Raptor, and yet they did not take him. And to be fair, like that was also kind of like from my timeline and my dealings with people in my life, like that, that. That was also the Raptor fan consensus as well. It's like, wait, like, right. they end up warming up to Scotty Barnes. But it's like, wait, Suggs kind of fills a lot of these gaps. What's what's going on here? Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe they had they got caught up a little bit on their own hubris. I mean, 
just to jack the former Portland Trailblazers GM who picked Sam Bowie was known as a great evaluator of talent. You know, sometimes even great evaluators like get, make huge mistakes. I'm not saying that Messiah Jury is. What was that guy? I forget what that guy's name was, but uh, you know. Maybe that something like that happened again. I don't know. Uh, just, just it's just. Well, a and, there's, and there's a pathway for Scotty Barnes to be a good player. It's just, I, and I'm not sold on. I don't think that of Jalen Suggs is like a likely superstar or something like that. If I did, then I would have argued you should go third or second or first. But um, I wasn't really at that level for him. Um, but yeah, I did like him more than Barnes. But um, so normally, like we would do best newcomer to a team. I think we would all agree that's Kyle Lowry. And I was so one of the questions I'd like to do is rookie you're most excited to see, but I'd like to exempt Jalen Suggs because I think we would all pick him. So are there any other rookies in this division that you're excited to see? We'll start with the guys. Um, I have no idea how much playing time he's going to get just because of how blocked the front court is. And I promise this is not a magic reference, but like Jalen Johnson in Atlanta is probably. Yes, he's mine, so- too. So, like, Jalen Johnson's the guy I want to see. Like, just a weird year at Duke. Uh, we can kind of leave it there. But he's so talented and he's such a funky dude that it's it's hard not it's hard for me not to enjoy guys like him that have that kind of size, have the kind of passing ability, can do the amount of things that he does. And he kind of wrecked it at Summer League. And, again, at Summer League, but, I mean, that just confirmed my biases. So, that I mean, that doesn't matter to me too much within this conversation. But I am curious to see, like, what he looks like as kind of that playmaking for grab-and-go guy that can run some inverted pick-and-rolls for you if you need him to, can can post up on occasion against smaller guys. We have to see what the jumper's going to look like. I think that's going to drive a lot of, A, how much playing time he's going to get, but also, like, what kind of trade chip he may be because Atlanta is just – primed for like a consolidation star deal for me so like i'm i'm always i just have my eye on that to see if there's going to be like a bill that pops loose or something like that to where atlanta consolidates some of the wings or fours that they have and really puts themselves in the room in that way mm. yeah, yeah now, I mean, atlanta atlanta is the reason a lot of teams should be shaking in their boots thinking that they're getting bradley beal because i don't know exactly what tommy shepherd wants if beal becomes available but something involving a kongwu hunter Cam Reddish, Jalen Johnson, they're like they've got they've got a war chest now of players that have mostly some sort of track record, not all of them the, the greatest track record. And mm-hmm. so if you're let's say Philadelphia and you're trying to put out there, you know, like you know, some of their, you know, yeah, maybe Tommy really likes Ben Simmons and that's the way the, the Simmons-Beal thing happens or something like that. But, like, first of all, I think the Simmons thing is going to happen first. But um, I, that's a really interesting question. And with Jalen, I had – so – Nate and I really only watch, you know, just as a practical consideration, we only really watch intently like five to eight guys in each draft. And then there are always a couple of other players that I'm like, I have in the back of my mind of like, okay, this is somebody I'm excited to see. I've heard things about that. And the first time I saw Jalen Johnson, my immediate thought was, I know what happened to Duke. How the hell did this guy not go in the lottery? Because even if he ends up flaming out, which is a possibility, players that have wing size, and I mean, I thought of him as potentially a four or a stretch five. Like, that's how big Jalen Johnson looked to me, who have athleticism and, like, have even some modicum of, like, offensive ability. Like, those players are ludicrously hard to find right now in the league. And once and, and they're incredibly, not only are they hard to find, they're incredibly hard to acquire. And so I'm just like, this is the whole idea for me of, like, drafting a, you know, a, a Kisper or a Trey Mann, you know, like, those type of guys where it's like, yeah, it can work out. It can. 
but <laughs> there's there, like I would You're rather me, Danny. I would rather <laughs> draft I would rather draft four Jalen Johnsons and strike out three of the times and get get one good player than take somebody like take those other guys four times. Uh, yeah, that was a bad decision by the Wizards. I think we can say that. I mean, but on all these teams, but uh, the reason is, of course, you look at some of these teams that picked in the late lottery early on. You're looking at. New Orleans win now pressure. Indiana always has win now pressure. Golden State win now pressure. Washington win now pressure. Uh, Memphis or New Orleans again with uh, Trey Murphy. Uh, you know, a lot of these teams just you know they don't have the luxury of like, well, what if Jalen Johnson just is, doesn't work as Atlanta does? But yeah, he looks like he he looks like he's going to make a lot of teams pay, and I'm really upset about about the Wizards not taking him. Uh, that that was very tough to watch. Nikias, yeah. what are your what are your thoughts on Book Night? Uh, like I'm trying not to be too concerned about Book Night. First and foremost, he went to UConn. I'm a UConn guy, so like, there's always going to be a little bit of bias there. But okay, well, I have a question for you. Does that mean so? I've gotten criticism. I've people have said a lot of times I'm a UCLA alum that I'm harder on their players than I am on other guys. Uh, that's typically me. So I'm trying not to do that because, like, the Davion Mitchell clips against Brooklyn Knights still live in my head. <laughs> Were you there like, in person? Oh. That was insane. Uh, I was in Vegas. I wasn't at that game. Oh, my God. But, yeah, like, that that concerned me a little bit. And this was coming off of a year in which, like, frankly, between, like, injuries and stuff, like, he was just asked to do too much at UConn last year. And I think that kind of bode well for his development, kind of forced him into more on-ball creation and stuff. But, like, this that was also kind of my concern. Like, if he is forced into, like, leading a second unit, and that kind of goes back to our concerns um, when we talked about Charlotte with them losing Devontae and maybe Book Knight having to take on some more of those reps. Like, he's going to need a screen. And, like, that's not inherently a bad thing, especially with you coming off the bench. But, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about the shake. I'm not so much worried about everything else. Like, I think he is a good passer. I think defensively he's going to be fine. Like, I think he's going to be a good player. Um, But, yeah, I, I just him as a primary, that scared me. I only watched a little bit of film on Book Night, but the film was really bad. I then talked to people who know things, and they're like, the film was kind of supposed to be bad on him because they were trying asking him to do a lot more. And so I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll tone that down a little bit. And yeah, I mean, Davion Mitchell sending him to the sunken place isn't great, but I mean, he's going <laughs> to, Mitchell's going to do that to a lot of guys. So like, I'm not, I'm not particularly, I'm not as concerned about that. But Book Night, I'm, I'm going to try to keep a really open mind on him this year. Um, Mike, anybody else that interests you on the rookies in this in this division? Honestly, not really. You guys kind of hit the That's ones fair. That's fair. <laughs> that that mattered. Um, so yeah, I mean, also, I mean, we'll see if Sharif Co- we'll see if Sharif Cooper plays. Me. I I I mean. There is uh, Nikai has brought this up before. I don't know what version of the indie of Atla- Atlanta's second unit we're going to get, but there are some versions of this that could be insanely fun. Uh, so we haven't talked about Atlanta yet, and to me, it's odd that why are why isn't Atlanta like the no brainer favorite in this division? They had the same record as as Miami last year. They had plenty of injuries. They had a much better point differential. Their players are all younger. Mm-hmm. And they got – I think they got better with some of the additions they made. Losing, getting – I actually kind of liked DeLon Wright better than some of the guys they've had on the bench last year. They're going to presumably be healthier. You know, to me, like Atlanta's a no-brainer best team in this division. And I could see them finishing third even ahead of Philly. Like, I, It's hard for me to understand exactly why Atlanta and Miami are considered in the same tier. 
Um, I think if you're making the case against Atlanta being the best team in the division, like I think it starts with with Miami in particular. I think Miami has more top end talent. I think that's where it starts. Like you can argue Trey versus I guess you can argue Trey versus Jimmy or Trey versus Bam, whatever. But beyond that, like Miami does have Jimmy, Bam, Lowry. And just on the outside, it's Trey and then there is a drop off. And then the second guy is Collins, I believe. And so, you know what? Say, I'm going to disagree with you on this. Okay. I think, I mean, I agree with you the top two, but Larry at this point is like an awesome role player. The Hawks have also, you didn't mention Bogdanovich, who I think is a really effective player that's going to play mm-hmm. a lot more for them. There's Capello had an amazing, great season last year. He really did a lot of the stuff that Bam does, except without the scoring, you know, last year. Collins is there. Uh, I think you could see Kevin Herter take another leap. We didn't talk about DeAndre Hunter, who showed a lot in his in his games and when he played. And I think it's particularly on ball. I could see him taking another leap. I don't think it's going to happen for Cam Reddish, but it could. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not sure. I totally buy that the Hawks don't have more top end, but the Heat have more top end talent. I mean, I think if you're talking about like potential top twenty players, sure. But you know, yeah, I, I think I think the Heat have more like those like lead those lead players because Trey does have to take a lot. But Atlanta has an unusually large amount of starter quality players, and like there's an yeah, argument that where... that that's that that's more valuable. You know, that they because I, I talked about how Miami doesn't have that many outs. Atlanta has a ton of them i mean they yeah. don't in terms of creation you know trey has to do a lot of that they've cre- i mean bogdanovich can do some and and of course when when lose well, out there he can do some it. of those guys that they have now take on more of that they, they probably know, can and herder can yeah herder certainly can i think hunter has shown that um i mean i guess the the real question i guess is whether there's going to be some disease of more stuff going on there and whether the the unrealistic expectations of we went to the conference finals everybody wants more the team harmony thing might affect them. But outside of that, I mean, those guys that they have are all very young and very early in their skill development. And I thought that one of the key things that McMillan did, and I expect this to continue, is he kind of got Trey Young to understand that less is a little bit more. <laughs> and he still was made most of the plays, but he allowed the other players to make him better. So he gave it up to get it back much more often. And again, unless Young sort of gets a little bit too big headed and that message wears off, there's a lot of room for more supplementary playmaking on the team that Young can then play off to me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, so arguments both directions that haven't been made so far. Um, in favor of the Hawks being better, they started the year with Rondo and Rondo was bad for them. They started the year with Lloyd Pierce as the coach. They played better after they got Nate McMillan. Both those are going to be full seasons now. On the other side, Atlanta had a lot of opponent shooting luck last year. That's part of why, I mean, Capella was great, but part of the reason why the Capella numbers were so ridiculous is that Hawks opponents basically made no threes when Capella was on the floor, and I'm pretty sure he didn't do a, didn't do a ton of that. So if you like, if you regress their opponent three point shooting to the mean, they were about two points. Opponents were about two percentage points worse. Like that, that makes a material difference on their defense when you think about how much they shoot now. So like, if the defense takes a little, even a little bit of a step back, then you know they were middle of the road last year. But you could also argue they'll have more Capella and all that. So. I also, think maybe if Tongu continues his emergence in the playoffs, they'll have Hunter for longer yeah, um, sure. as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of I, – I think that those could counteract that shooting luck that you talked about. Yeah, it could. Um, so that kind of ties in with the like ranking, and I don't usually go first, but I think since we've already been kind of walking through it, I'll lay mine out, and you guys can say whether you would agree or disagree, and I'm welcome, I welcome disagreement here. So I, I like to think of – sometimes I use tiers for this, and the way that I define that is that I'm – I think those teams are going to be close 
like so close that it's it's more marginal. And so like for me, this division is actually kind of easy if you allow that. I think that Atlanta and Miami are going to be close. Um, it honestly for me, the biggest factor is going to be Trey Young's health. I think. I, I'm actually going to go. Um, I think I'm going to go Hawks one, Heat two, but they're really they're same tier. Then a gap. Then I'm going to go. I'm going to go Hornets over Wizards. I think on talent, I think that the Wizards are better, but the possibility that they just let the bottom fall out, trade Bradley Beal, all that. There's even if it's a ten percent chance that that happens, that's enough to sink it. And then the 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 Magic are below. I think I'm pretty much with you. Just swapping Miami and Atlanta. Um, I think I do believe in. I think Lowry's just going to help that Heat team a lot. And the fact, um, of course, Atlanta also dealt with a lot of injuries and stuff last year too. But I think them having the same record in Miami, making that kind of upgrade, the depth pieces. If you do get the bleep from Bam, like I think they're going to be right there, and they'll be able to turn out some regular season wins. Um, so I would say Heat, Hawks, and then I'll go Hornets, Wizards, and yeah, Orlando's at the bottom for me. I think I made my rankings pretty clear at this point. Uh, so I think Atlanta is much better than Miami. I think Miami is the second best team. I like the Wizards more than Charlotte, but they're pretty close. And then Orlando. Well, so on the Orlando front, are we are we thinking of them as just like pure like dregs bottom of the league, or do we think that um, Isaac and Fultz and some of these capable guys that that can put them above somebody else? I don't know who that somebody is, but somebody. Uh, like. I think just by virtue of their size, like there's potential for them to be like a top 10, top 12 defense. And like maybe they just catch a lot of teams on the wrong night. But like I don't I don't anticipate them being better than like, you know, third or fourth in the lottery. I don't think I think they'll be the worst team in the East. It's really them or Detroit. And I think Detroit's got a little more to them. I think they'll be competing with Cleveland. I'm, I'm worse. I think Detroit's going to be better than Cleveland this year. Um, I, so that's I, interesting. I actually kind of like Cleveland this year, but I liked them more before they made that Laurie Markkinen trade. Like I actually, I actually thought Cleveland. Oh, if they had, if they had kept Nance, I would have felt differently about it. But now with Nance, I, I, I'm really skeptical of their defense. Okay. Um, we'll see. Um, I mean, the, the, again, it's going to be with a lot of these teams. It's going to be internal, internal improvement. The other part that I think is going to keep Orlando down here. I mean, they, they. Brought in Jamal Mosley, and I think that at this point, the Magic understand what they are, which is good, because you want to be in that mode, and so maybe they're in the same thing with Houston, where it's like, you know, you have these good players, and you'll give them an opportunity, but... You also can give plenty of time to develop, and you're not so good. You're not; those guys are not so good. Like referring to Isaac and John Wall and those kind of guys, that they will drag you above. Like I don't. The thing that could make any of these things more complicated is if two months into the season you're in shouting distance of the play-in. Like that could potentially really mess with a couple of teams because like, oh, we could get into the play-in, and we saw that a little bit last year. We saw teams make moves, but my instinct is that the Magic aren't going to be good enough to make that happen. I don't. I don't trust their. I mean, I think they're going to be a bottom five offense. Is Isaac even playing to start the season? I mean, probably not. You know, uh, that's another factor too that should drag them down. You know, he might not play till January. Who knows? Well, and I mean, there was also the quote. um, Robin Lopez had something about basically like that. He he said something about like I'm going to be that guy who doesn't who doesn't necessarily play every night, but makes a difference. It's like. Well, if the other guy who could be their best defender isn't even playing every night, then he's then they're they're really giving it to Bamba and and Wendell Carter. And I I mean Carter's going to come up in in just a second, but I think that um, the I mean Robin Lopez is a much better def- if he's a much better defender right now than those guys are going to be, even if they have bright futures. I might be a little bit higher on Wendell at the point, but I, I definitely understand. Like Robin Lopez is very good at defense right now. Um, 
I'm actually surprised. Like, where where are you at on Wendell Carter Jr.? I'll pose that to both of you. Uh, Danny, go ahead because I honestly I don't know yet. I really haven't. I I can't say I watched enough Orlando basketball after the trade to really have a firm opinion. It seemed like he had a good emer- emergence. At the end, it seemed like he was able to do more things. It seemed like he was kind of shackled in Chicago. So I think there's a chance that he has a becomes a pretty solid starting center. But I don't know. I, I, you watch, you guys have both watched him more than me. I, I like him defensively. I, I've seen signs both. Um, I kind of kind of each year, you know, he's I had these weird times where he you know has missed missed had absences and changed teams and everything like that. But I think his defensive tools are not elite, but pretty good. And I think that he can be, you know, a, a capable rim protector. I also like him as a defensive rebounder team and in the team and grabbing them himself, you know, both, both elements of that. And so, and offensively, I've, I've long hoped that it could come a little bit more than it has, but I think that he can make decent, decent reads as a passer, you know, can be a, a, a cog in the machine, not the machine. Like he's not going to be bam or anything like that. So, I see a path for Wendell Carter to be an above average center, which would be a, a massive success for Orlando considering everything that happened. They didn't, you know, they got him as a part of it, a, a deal where everything else worked out, you know, getting the picks and everything else. Um, I have trouble seeing Carter as like a top six. Like, I don't see superstar potential in him, but if you can get a 10 to 20, number 10 to number 20 center, like, if that, if he can end up in that range, that would be great for them. I think that's fair. Like my concerns are more so on the offensive end. Like yeah. I don't I just need to know what comes first for him. If it's going to be more of the high post passing being unlocked, then that's where you get the plus value. Or if, you know, now that he's, you know, away from Jim Boylan and that whole era and stuff, like if Jamal Moses is going to empower him to like, hey, we're gonna be bad this year. We don't want you to just jack stuff. But if you wanna get up three and a half threes a game this year, like let's see what that looks like. If he's like truly empowered to take those shots from the corner or, you know, above the break if they're doing like some delay action or whatever and he gets those shots. Like if he becomes decent at either of those two things, preferably both, but if he gets one of those, like I think that unlocks a new level because defensively I don't have much questions about him. Like we've seen him multiple regimes, multiple different rosters and stuff. Like he's looked good in multiple schemes early in his career. And that's not an easy thing to do as a young big man in the NBA. Like we've seen with Jim Boylan, the way that they blitz and everything, he looked very comfortable with that. He looked a little bit less comfortable in drop in Chicago and then later in Orlando, but like he has the tools, has the instincts to do that as well. So I think he's going to be a plus impact guy on that end uh, pretty much for the rest of his career. But the offense is kind of where I'm just like, okay, what what comes first? Because like he's not an explosive leaper as a role man or anything like that. So like it has to kind of come with the shot or the passings after a lot of other things. Or, you know, for Orlando long term, if Jalen Suggs is going to be that kind of pull up threat or pick and roll threat or whatever, getting Wendell Carter easier looks that way will give him an avenue to produce that. Yeah, I bet the over on his three point attempts this year. <laughs> The other, the other funny thing for me is I've been a Jonathan Isaac partisan for such a ridiculously long time is I've long believed that he, if you could pull it off, his best defensive position is actually the five. Like, his best net position is the five, where the idea, because I don't, uh, I've said before that Jonathan Isaac, whenever the ball leaves his hand, I think it's not going to go in. It's just whatever it is with his jump shot, I just, I've, I've never trusted as much as I love him. And so, practically speaking, it's very hard to find a five that can that can shoot. There are a few that exist, and there are a few that are acquirable, and a few that can, you know, maybe come into the draft in a given year. Um, and so, but they don't have to make that decision on Isaac now. He's under contract for this year and three more, though there's some injury protections on that. And so, but the other nice thing is you have Carter and Bamba. If one of them pops or two of them pop, fantastic. You can make that work either with you or with somebody else. And so, for Orlando... 
the idea that I, I, I've, like, it's about flashes. You know, it's not do they win a lot this year? Does this guy, you know, does he put up a 20 PER or anything like that? It's do they show signs of, okay, they can run, you can run the offense through him or, or something like that. And that's going to be a huge question for them is just not, not what do the numbers look like, but what do we see from these guys? So he, he took 29 threes in 22 games with Orlando last year. So that's about a little over one a game. I would expect that to triple or quadruple this year, particularly when you consider all the playmaking guards that they have. I mean, he never played with, with Markel Fultz, for example. And Fultz wants to get into the paint. So I'm gonna I'm expecting to see a lot of pick and pop, uh, particularly where they're at. And, and yeah, we're going to find out. But, uh, I mean, I would be surprised if he's not jacking a lot of threes this year. Certainly should be. I want that for him. I think you're going to get it. Uh, okay, uh, question for both of you. We'll start with Nikaias. How many teams in this division make the playoffs? Uh, I th- we'll, def- we'll, sorry, we'll define that as the eight teams that play in the best of the seven. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, I was about to say, well, you know, okay. Well, Miami, Atlanta, my firm ones. Um, e, I'll stick with two right now. Because I do think, I mean, you saw it last year. <clears throat> like, Hayward is their best scorer, their best shot creator. And he has an inconsistent health history. So, like, any injury from him could kind of knock them out of that 8 to 10 range. So, I, I guess I'm going to say, I'm going to stick with Miami and Atlanta being the two from the division. Yeah, I would say top eight, probably two. I would say a third makes the playing game, but two seems about. Let's say like what two point two point four one. <laughs> I like it. I'll go. To, I'll go. I'll go two point two. Um, so that's like wow, a, how dare, really yeah. two point two. Like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> um. And then the last question, we'll start with Mike. Um, So I define breakout players as players that we will talk about meaningfully differently a year from now. So that doesn't have to be a star. That can be a role player that is now a solid starter. It can be, you know, like players that we'll talk about differently from this division a year from Hmm. now. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, hmm. Yeah, I probably should have looked at the questions before I thought about this this one. Um, Meaningfully different now than we did at the start of the season. I mean, I think, again, the... It's got to be Bam if Miami is going to capitalize on where they're at. Uh, I'm not sure he's got that in him for this year, uh, but we could say him. Uh, I, as far as like a meaningfully different, I would expect. I don't know which hawk it's going to be around Trey Young, whether it's going to be Herder or Hunter or both. But I think one of those two is going to make a leap. I just I'm not sure which one. Stealing my thunder a little bit. Uh, my <laughs> my answer is going to be Hunter. Actually, like I think what we saw from him in in limited time last year because of injuries, um, you knew coming in that he was going to be a really good on ball defender and that he'd be able to knock down spot up shots. The fact that he was actually taking like some one or two dribble pull ups and pick and roll was something that I did not expect to see from him this early into his career. So I think if he's healthy and he able to add that kind of impact, even sparingly combine what he's going to bring on defense and what he brings as a shooter like i think he's going to be a linchpin for that unit so i i also don't necessarily so i don't necessarily believe this is going to happen but i just want to throw this name out there because i think there is a chance and and the answer to that is kyle kuzma i could see that was what i was going to mention i know it seems like he's kind of what he is but i also think there's an interesting kind of lining up of incentives where the wizards need other playmakers They, they give him the ball more He's going to want to prove that it's a decent ecosystem for him to show some of these skills, whether he has them or not. I could see some stars lining up where we start to think of him as like, 
almost like a bit of a late bloomer, a la some like a Karan Butler. You know, when the when the Wizards acquired him from the Lakers, it seemed like he was maybe more of a finished product then. But it turned out that there was another level there. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think there's a possibility it might. Yeah, we've we've now talked about my three biggest ones, which were Hunter. I, I think I, I echo what Nikaya said there. I think, and I think that the role that Hunter is going to be asked to fill is something that he's very suited for. And then Kuzma just being in a different structure, I think, is going to open things up for him. And also the defensive gains that he's made in some ways will be more appreciated in Washington than they were in L.A. because the Lakers had the foundation that they, you know, they were they were good anyway. They're going to do that. So I think we might appreciate it more. And then the other one is Wendell Carter. I think that Carter, if he establishes himself as like a viable starting center or somebody who can be that in a year or two, that's a huge step, not only for him, but for the Magic franchise. I would love for Mobamba to have the same arc. That would be great, but I'm more confident in Wendell Carter. I've t- I toyed around with somebody in the Charlotte front court, Miles Bridges, Jalen McDaniels, but I'm not quite sold on all those guys as being able to take another step. I love LaMelo. I, I don't know that, I mean, he might like, Generally speaking, guys that are really good, really young, make bigger steps. But um, so it might be him, but that also might be a Lamelo's third year, not his second. I'm not entirely sure. So I don't. So this is what I don't understand, right? Neither of you guys said anyone on Charlotte. You just made all those caveats, and yet Charlotte's supposed to be a, be- a much better team this year. I, I don't get how could both of those things be. I don't know for- that they're going to be much better. I think they'll okay. Be- I. I, be, I mean, we but we we all just said they're not going to make the playoffs. I guess that's fair. I mean, it's just <laughs> it, it's hard for me to see like it, them main, even maintaining their position without a leap from somebody. And if they're not, if neither of you think they're going to have that, then it seems like that sort of answers that question. I think Lamelo is going to be better. I just don't know if he's going to be you know because like, the the threshold for breakout is pretty high for players that are already good. Um, it is it. I, I think there's a distinct chance that Lamelo Ball is All Star caliber this year. Like that would be and and I mean the, if he does modest gains defensively, I mean there there's a lot there to like. I'm just not. I'm not. I think it might. I think he's on the path. I just don't know whether it's this year or next year. Like I think if there's going to be like a pure breakout type candidate for Charlotte, like I think kind of has to be PJ Washington of just him being able to play the four or the five. Like if he takes another step as a creator, um, I was already kind of teasing clips. I have a piece coming out soon on PJ actually. Like mm. the fact he was taking pull up threes last year and didn't look out of place doing so, like uh, the off season of doing that and adding that to his bag, combined with what he already brings, kind of like a dribble handoff guy that can fake and get downhill, can post up small guys, can obviously shoot. Like if he's able to put that together and he becomes like a 16, 17 point per game guy, like I think that changes Charlotte's dynamic a little bit. You know, that's a good point. Um, I don't know what you thought. He looked like he needs to maybe be a little more cut up to play to reach his potential than he looked like last year. I thought he, I'm not saying he was like super overweight, but I, I think if he really wants to reach where he needs to be, he needs to be a lot, a little bit leaner. I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, I can see the argument. Like, I think the big thing for him, as simple as it is, like, is figuring out what position he actually is. Because he feels very 4.5 ish to me which I think is fine on offense just because, again, he can post up smaller guys and he can beat bigs off the dribble. Like, he's a very fluid guy with the ball in his hands. But defensively, it's kind of where I had concerns. Like, Charlotte did have to do a lot of junk stuff on defense last year, and part of that is, like, there's only so much you can do with P.J. Like, he switches because he's mobile. But beyond that, like, I don't trust him as a drop guy. Like, he has the athleticism to play up to the level of play higher, but then the reaction from there is kind of iffy for me. So, like, I think if him being more cut up means he'll be a little bit more stocked and drop and you can kind of 
um, you know, teach him in that way and give him more reps in that regard. And I think that creates a easier pathway for him. Okay. It's interesting you say like the positionals issue because it, it seems like positionally to me, maybe I'm just thinking about this more from like a 20, uh, a more less traditional five position spectrum. Maybe I've just been writing the book too much, but it seems like his, his role is actually quite clear. You just sort of set, described him as a 4.5. I mean, the whole team is set up for him to be a 4.5. Like they don't have, like it, it, that's exactly what he is. Um, he's a guy that if you play him at the four, you're playing a more traditional style. When you put him at the five, you're switching one through five. Uh, I, to me, I just wonder like, can he switch one through five? You know, I think he needs to get cut up a little more for that. Um, like I just, that, that to me, actually, it's interesting you say that positionally that's the issue. I, I think it's more, does he have the body to execute the position he's, to me, so clearly needs to be? Gotcha. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, Either way, we, we, interesting we've, breakout candidate. Absolutely. Of him. We've covered a ton of ground this. Is there anything else, Southeast, that you guys want to discuss, or have we hit everything? Um, I, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say touting Atlanta again. I just just think that uh, we may – just because like the the run they had was like ahead of schedule in the playoffs, I think that we can lose sight of the fact that they got the regular season they did despite a lot of things going wrong that probably won't happen again. So I think it's both true to say that they're not going to make the conference finals again and that they're going to be a lot better than they were last year. And I think it's easy to focus too much on the first one than the second one. I'll say just for uh, my brand purposes, I would not at all be mad if Atlanta's like the three seed and they get a bunch of home playoff games. I'll definitely be in Atlanta for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking out for you, buddy. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> we we get an Atlanta Miami four five matchup. I'm in heaven. Oh, that would be really fun. Like and and along go. those That's lines, nice. I just looked it up. Six. What about three six? I like that as a three six series. I mean, either way, if I get a first round series between those two or a second round series, whatever, like that's that's fine. I just wouldn't be home. Yeah. Then, then we get Philly, Boston. No, then you have one. no. How about the real fun of an Atlanta, Charlotte, one eight? Jeez, I'll sign up for four games of Lamelo and Trey. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's. I, I'm excited to see. Like, I mean, I brought up the idea of breakouts of like how how it's how you see things differently. Like, we're gonna have some really like notable shifts potentially in some of these teams. Like, how how are we feeling about the Hawks how are we feeling about the heat because like I would say if the heat have the season it kind of feels like we're all in a relatively similar line on it but like if the heat have that kind of season I think that's going to be pretty deeply disappointing for the for especially for the people who really believe in them but like if they're if they're the fourth or fifth best team and they get knocked out in the first round or maybe they eke into the second and they get waxed by like the nets or somebody like if that's what if that's what they do my my assumption is that this is going to be the best year of this iteration of the heat that this is like, you know, that with Lowry and Butler, those guys are aging. Yeah, Bam's going to get better. Hero's going to get better. But I, if if this is the best year of it and that's what they are, I think that's going to be pretty dispiriting. Well, I think they're going to be pretty disappointed then. I guess <laughs> we'll see. I mean, what's the path then to make the conference finals? I guess I just have trouble seeing that. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I, I am too hot, too low on some of the age. Well, the age I, I, I don't think it's that. through Brooklyn. I'll, I'll put it that way. And I don't think it's through Milwaukee either. I mean, what they got waxed by the Bucks last year, and the Bucks. What's what is the reason for the Bucks to be dropping off? Really, you know. Uh, and then if it's not through Philly, if it's not, I don't know. I just, I, I have a hard time seeing really much. Uh, I, I, they'll, they can't possibly put up a worse fight against the Bucks than they did last year if they play them. <laughs> but I don't really see a way that, that we're going to get 2020 again. 
Yeah, I think the case for Miami, like just zooming out, it's elite defense. It's a top, I guess, what, top 15-ish offense. Just with what Lowry provides, you get the bump from Hero. Um, and it's just going to be the matchup game for them because, again, like I don't put them in the Brooklyn-Milwaukee tier. Well, for me, the Milwaukee-Brooklyn tier. So I don't put them there. It just becomes a matchup thing for them. Um, like, full disclosure, Milwaukee is my pick out the East right now. Ooh. So, like, I don't think that, you know, Miami's best case to, you know, making the 2020 run would be with Milwaukee. Like, I think they have – they will still have some more things to exploit than they would against Brooklyn in particular because Brooklyn just has the firepower that Miami can't match. And you can at least make the case for Miami kind of jumping things up defensively for Milwaukee. But I think, you know, Easter Conference Finals and losing to either of those two teams is kind of their ceiling for me right now. And that's best case. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I just I, if it happens, great. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I can again. The only way I think it really happens is if Bam is like takes another big leap, which could happen. But I, I'm not sure it's going to be big enough. Well, I'm super excited to see it, and thank you guys so much for taking time to come on. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for, having for having us. Thanks again to Nikias Duncan and Mike Prada for taking the time to come on. You can read Nikias's words at Basketball News. You should definitely should. He's one of my favorite writers and you can check out the dunker spot podcast that he does with steve jones jr as well and for prada you can check out prada's uh substack which you can get on his it's myprada.substack.com and the awesome prada's picture is one of my one of my favorite things that's out there um visual visually and with the writing that he often accompanies it and and mike's actually he's announced that he's working on a book uh it's not i don't think there's a published date yet but really excited for that we've talked a little bit about it and you can follow mike prada at mike prada nba m-i-k-e-p-r-a-d-a nba and you can follow Nikias at Nikias NBA, N-E-K-I-A-S NBA. Loved talking with the two of them and getting into some of the nooks and crannies in this division. A lot of teams and some some d- disagreements, which were a lot of fun. So hope you enjoyed it as well. There's still one more division left, the Northwest. Fully expect that episode to come next week. And if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode. That is extremely valuable for Real GM Radio in particular because it's never going to come out on a specific day of the week. So if you subscribe, it'll pop in when it pops in. We will do an episode every week. But that part of it is more manageable that way. And whatever podcast player you use, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we hopefully are everywhere. And if we're not everywhere, please tell me. And the other thing you can do to help us out is to help other people find the show. That could be leaving a rating, leaving a review in the podcast player of your choosing. That could also be word of mouth saying, hey, this episode or the show in general, you might like it, people, and helps people find the show. Really do appreciate that. You can also check out my other work. Nate and I are still going strong with Dunked on Prime. Now he's doing more actually without me as involved, but it's still a fantastic product. And Dunked on still releasing a free episode every week if you want to check that out. I am currently on my honeymoon, so I am not producing any more written material, but you can check out the stuff that I have at The Athletic, of course. Really do appreciate that. And of course, there will be more in the future when I return. And if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. I am, of course, not reading that as aggressively right now, but I will. It goes to a separate folder man box. I do read it, and I promise to read it. I don't promise to reply, but I'm trying to be better about it. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm trying to be better about that. But I do read it because it's making the show better, making my work better, and I, I really do appreciate that. That is all for now, so thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day.
a team. The free COVID vaccine is FDA authorized for kids five and up. Do it for your besties and the resties. It's safe for your child and can help protect their friends. Do it for birthdays. And help protect your family. And game night. When you give your child the vax, you give them the power to learn. Do it for field trips. And camp outs. To experience. And big hugs. And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. So call 1-888-RECOVERY-NOW. At our fully accredited, world-class treatment center in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY.